Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. For every one of our Kingdom Culture values, we have a question. Uh, on the first Sunday, we looked at prayer fuels power. We asked the question, have you prayed about it? Last Sunday, we talked about how God's Word is our foundation. We asked the question, what does God's Word say about that? And today, our Kingdom Culture value is love gives generously. It informs who we are as a church and as a people, what it means to be Christ-like, what God calls from us in our own lives. And the key question is, am I growing in generosity? It's a really important question, and Paul speaks to the heart of generosity in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. I want you to go there with me. I'd encourage you to uh, bring your Bibles along to church like we talked about last week and uh, have that open as we go through. For others of you who may not have a Bible, you can look to the screen. But here we go in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. It says this, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but he's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Several years ago, I was preaching at a regional church in the state of Victoria, and I was preaching about the need for faith, living a life of faith, how faith is the divine connector between heaven and earth. And I got to the altar call and I started to talk about how if there are needs in our lives, God responds to our faith. And I began to call people forward to the front of the altar to receive ministry. And I was going to pray for people, minister to people as out of a response to the word. And as I'm getting ready to minister to people, the Holy Spirit says to me, answer your own altar call. And as I'm there sort of processing this, I'm like, well, I'm going to minister to the people. I can't answer my own altar call. You're not allowed to preach my sermon back to me, God. I mean, come on. And he's like, will you have a need? Answer your own altar call. So I literally walked off the platform, joined everyone else while they're waiting for me to minister to them. And I'm saying, God, here I am. I bring my heart, my life to you. 
what is it that help me to grow in faith? What is it that you want me to do with this need that's in my life? And God began to speak to me and he said, I want you to sell your bike, which was worth thousands of dollars, and I want you to give that money away. And he gave me the name of the person to give it to. And I really struggled with that because my initial thought was I rebuked that in Jesus' name because God knows how important my bike is to me. And, and also I'm thinking about the person he asked me to give it to and I'm like, that person doesn't need money. I mean, you know, as if that's the point. Uh, my, that this person doesn't need this gift. And the Lord said, I want you to do this. I want you to sell your bike and give the money away to this particular person. And I can remember wrestling with what God had asked of me for weeks. It was about six weeks as I wrestled in my heart. The issue wasn't the amount of money and the issue wasn't the fact of giving away money. I've done that many times before to other people. The issue was what was important to me in my heart. God was dealing with my heart. And whenever God speaks to us about money in our lives, He's not actually speaking about the money, He's speaking to our hearts. And I can remember after six weeks, finally surrendering to the will of the Holy Spirit, giving that money to that particular person and immediately brought not only freedom into my heart, but an incredible breakthrough into my financial life. For whatever reason my giving was needed in that person's life, the greater need was for my heart to be transformed. The fact that I was wrestling with obedience is testament to that. In the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, the passage that we've just been reading, Paul is exhorting the Corinthians to give generously to believers in Jerusalem who are suffering under the weight of a famine and under the weight of persecution. They were in financial need. The church needed the generosity of other believers in order to be sustained. And in verse 7 of this passage, the Apostle Paul speaks directly to the heart of the matter. He says this in verse 7, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, in this passage, it's important to understand God is not dealing with the issue of the tithe. He's talking about free will offerings. Giving is a heart issue, not a money issue. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Many of us give enough to ease our conscience, but not enough to have our hearts transformed. It's really important that we understand this. Let me say it again. Many of us give enough to ease our conscience, but not, not enough to transform our hearts. And in the book of Malachi, the Italian prophet, otherwise known as Malachi, he was being used by God to prophesy and speak to Israel about their half-hearted offerings. Israel were bringing blemished offerings to God to ease their conscience and God began to speak to them about what this means from a heart perspective. In Malachi 2.2, 2, the, the Lord says through the prophet, if you will not take it to heart to give honour to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you. 
and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. You and I need to understand today, God is supremely interested in the spiritual health of our hearts more than he is in the money in our wallets. And money is a discipleship issue. Money is an eternal spiritual issue, not just a practical functional issue in the natural transactions of life. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart for out of your heart flow the springs and issues of life. Life is an overflow of the theme of our heart. And what we do with our money reveals what we worship. What we do with our money reveals the priority of our hearts, the affection of our hearts. It actually reveals who and what we trust in. The purpose of sacrificial giving then is not just about the amount, not just about the actual action. It's about what takes place in our hearts. It's all about transforming our hearts to be conformed, to be more like Jesus Christ. You see, to ask ourselves, am I growing in generosity, is to ask the question, am I actually becoming more like Jesus? Because to be Christ-like is to be generous. The closer we get to God, the more we grow in our love of giving. The Bible says in verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I don't know about you, but I'm really glad that I don't serve a God of some sufficiency and some grace at some times because he would cease to be God. But we serve a God of abundant grace at all times, in all measure, in all sufficiency, no matter what it is that I'm going through and you're going through where we feel inadequate, insufficient, we come into the presence of an almighty, all-powerful, all sufficient, abundantly gracious God, it all of a sudden changes your perspective on who you're relating to and how you steward what God gives to you. You see, giving reveals the Father's gracious heart to a self-centered world. Giving is countercultural to the spirit of the world around us. God has demonstrated his love for us. John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We never have any reason to doubt God's love for us because he has given to us what the apostle Paul calls the inexpressible gift, Jesus Christ himself. And Romans 8:32 tells us, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? If God has not withheld his one and only son from us, why would he withhold any good thing? The Bible says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your heavenly father give good things? And the ultimate good thing is the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. You see, whenever God comes to us and calls us into a lifestyle, 
of sacrificial generosity. He doesn't come to try and take something from us, but to in fact give more to us. You cannot outgive the nature of who God is. You can't outgive God. Why? Because God's a giver and He loves to give to those who, just because we're, we're His creation, just because we're made in His image, let alone the fact that we believe and we trust in Him. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. And we understand that the nature of love is to give and share of itself. You can't say that you love your spouse and not be generous towards them. You can't say that you love God and not be generous towards God. You can't say that you love something or someone and not be generous towards them. Why? Because love without generosity lacks integrity. The spirit of the world loves itself over others. And what the world does, it only gives to others if and when anything is left over. It gives the scraps. But I'm so glad that we are in relationship with a God and we serve a God who didn't pick out the angel with the mangy wing and the funny eye, but he actually gave us his one and only son, Jesus Christ. He said, there's only one thing sufficient for the brokenness of the, of the creation of the world in which I, have, uh, which I have created. He said, there's only one thing sufficient and that is my one and only son, Jesus Christ, God. God gave us his very best. You see, kingdom culture understands that stewardship begins with giving what is rightfully God's and giving that which God leads us to, not simply looking for the scraps to give to God to ease our conscience. Talking about giving tends to be a highly emotive issue in the church. All of a sudden you start to talk about finance and talk about giving and all sorts of spiritual resistance starts because it touches and strikes a deep chord within us. And yet the Apostle Paul did not shy away from talking about money. In fact, in verse 13 of this passage, he talks about how our lifestyle should line up with our confession of the gospel. You see, giving has everything to do with who is Lord over my life. Jesus talked more about money than he did about prayer. Why? Because Jesus understood that money or what we do with our money is a lordship issue. If you have a problem with the church talking about money, may I suggest to you, you don't have a money problem, you have a lordship problem. I love you lots today. I love you so much. And I don't know about you, but if I'm going to have someone talk to me and preach to me from the Word of God about money, I, I actually want to hear the truth. I want to hear what's going to be a benefit for my soul, not just what will um, reinforce my dysfunction. When I hear somebody preach, I want to hear someone minister something that's actually going to help me to become more like Jesus. And sometimes that means there's some areas of our hearts that have to be challenged. If we have a problem with the church talking about money, the problem is actually our own because it's not a, a, an issue to do with necessarily the church or the preacher or the Word of God. The issue has got to do with our lack of understanding of what love is really all about and our lack of understanding of who really is Lord over my life. I remember years ago, we used to sing a scripture and song, a praise and worship song, He is Lord. He is Lord. 
He is Lord. Just join in when you're ready. He is risen from the dead, and He is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm here all week. Thank you, Stacey. Sign me up when you need. We love to sing songs about the Lordship of Jesus. And we come into the church and, and I believe that we're authentic and we're, we're very honest and sincere in our worship when we sing songs like He is Lord and all the modern expressions of the Lordship of Jesus in our life. But can you imagine with me if you were the owner of a property and you went to collect your rent money and you knocked on the front door of the property that you own. You own everything on that land. You own the house. You own everything on there. And you knock on that door and the door opens and the tenant sees who you are, acknowledges who you are and launches into their own praise and worship song. You are the owner. You are the owner. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that you are the owner. And then slams the door shut in your face. You'd be standing there thinking to yourself, I'm not real sure they've understood what this is all about. I mean, you'd say, let's have another go at this. So you'd knock on the door and that door would open and the tenant would see who you are. And as they're launching into the second verse of he is Lord and you are the owner, you would say to yourself, listen, stop the praise and worship and follow the advice of Jerry Maguire. Just show me the money. It would be exactly your response. Why? Because that money belongs to you. But unfortunately, sometimes as believers, when we gather together in the house of God, we're declaring He is Lord. But when it comes to the vision offering, we slam the door shut and we just sing songs and we think that because we've sung the song, we're practicing it in our lifestyle. Can I say, Jesus is Lord of all or He is not Lord at all. And His Lordship must be expressed in every area of our lives, including what we do with our money. You see, what you do with your money is a litmus test of who really is Lord over our lives. If Jesus is Lord, then I am not the owner. I am a steward of everything that he has given to me. And what too many of us do is we use the defensive mechanism, things like we, we deflect. We say things like, well, the church just wants your money. As if, you know, like the retail store down the street doesn't want your money. And Google doesn't want your money and Apple doesn't want your money, but we're happy to give our money to that because we think that we, obviously we get something back. But often that defensive mechanism is in place because it justifies a self-centered heart. When Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell his possessions and give to the poor, he walked away offended. And the issue wasn't with the message that Jesus gave him. The issue was his heart. He was self-centered and he was greedy and he didn't want to change his heart. 
While we have been born selfish, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the fruit of that sin is self-centeredness. It's a poison to our hearts and it infects every area of our lives, relationships and our relationship with finance. And yet while we are born into self-centered sinfulness, when you come to Christ, you are born again to generosity. There is something that takes place in our spirits where instead of the default nature by design through the process of sanctification and discipleship becoming more like Jesus, we learn and discover that the nature of God is love and that love expresses itself in generosity. You see, when Jesus is Lord over our money, giving moves from duty to delight, The Bible says in verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You see, giving generously produces a spiritual harvest, not just a material harvest. One of the things that I've discovered, and just tune into this right now, one of the things I've discovered about seed is that the seed never looks like the harvest it contains. Let me say that again. The seed never looks like the harvest it contains. See, within the seed is the DNA of harvest. And the Bible talks about the kingdom of God like a seed. In Matthew 13, 31, it says the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that all the birds of the air may come and nest in its branches. You've got to understand everything in the kingdom of God starts as a small seed. Whenever God asks you to step out and do something in faith, it may feel like you're just planting a 10 cent seed in the ground. I remember when God asked us to plant a church, 13 people in a lounge room, it was a small seed, but that seed was planted in the ground, it began to grow, began to develop, began to expand. When God asks you to do something, give to something, step out, that seed never looks like the harvest that it contains. There are 4,000-year-old seeds found in Pharaoh's tomb, and those seeds were planted in the ground, even though they were thousands of years old, But because the DNA of harvest and fruitfulness is still in the seed, when they planted those seeds in the ground, those seeds began to sprout and produce fruit and produce life because written into the genetic code of every single seed is a harvest. And when we plant a seed in the ground, however humble, however small or big, you need to understand something. Not only will it bring a material harvest in our own lives in unique and bizarre ways, but it turns into a harvest of righteousness that becomes a witness to the world around us that lives on for eternity. Jesus said, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but plant your seed into something eternal that will actually make a difference long after you and I are gone. And when we respond in faith with a heart of generosity to the call of God through His Word and upon God's house, I'm telling you, you are building something that is going to last for all eternity. Beyond buildings and beyond programs and beyond the material things of life and ministry, we are literally transforming people's hearts 
by the power of the seed that is planted in the ground. You see, God supplies seed for your everyday needs, but he multiplies seed to give extravagantly. I praise God, part of the Lord's prayer is give us this day our daily bread, that God cares about our practical needs. He really does. We've prayed with so many people already last 12 months and seen God bless them, provide jobs and amazing things taking place, come into agreement over things to do with houses and all sorts of things. And God has blessed people and moved in marvellous ways. But I tell you what, there is seed that God multiplies to you to be a blessing to others. It's so important that we understand why God gives us seed to sow. The Bible says in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You see, God blesses us with seed so that we can bless others with harvest. Mark chapter 11, Jesus was hungry and uh, there wasn't a cafe or a 7-Eleven around, so he looks off in the distance and he sees a fig tree in leaf. He walks up to the fig tree and he wants to eat some figs from the fig tree. It's a very logical reality. And so he goes to the fig tree, but guess what? There is no fruit on the fig tree. And so Jesus gets a little bit hangry because you're not yourself when you're hungry, right? Thank you, Snickers. And so Jesus starts to curse the fig tree. And he says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And he walks off. And Peter's thinking to himself, that's a bit weird. Is, you know, Jesus bit of, woke up on the wrong side of bed today and the Son of God is a little bit hangry. And, and so they, they come back the next day and as they walk past the fig tree, the fig tree has perished and withered away to its roots. And Peter's like, this is amazing. I mean, this is astounding. Jesus, the fig tree that you cursed has perished and withered away to its roots. What the Jimmy is going on? What the heck is happening here? I don't understand it. I don't get it. Why did Jesus curse the fig tree? I'll tell you why. Because the fig tree was receiving life, but it wasn't passing life on. And one of the keys to avoiding lack and barrenness in our finance or in any area of our life is to keep passing on what God has given to us. The moment you contain, the moment you hoard, the moment that you lock everything down and stop giving and passing on is the moment it dries up. But you and I have been called to be a river and a channel of God's blessing and grace. We're not called to be a dam or a reservoir that contains blessing for ourselves. God hasn't blessed you just for you. He's blessed you so that you would be a blessing to others. We are the offspring of Abraham. We are the sons and daughters of the mother and father of faith. And just as that seed was planted in the ground of Abraham's destiny, and he became a father of multitudes and many nations, you and I are called to keep passing on what God has given to us. You see, one of the greatest lessons I've learned about money is so in your lack because if you don't sow in your lack you'll never sow in your abundance lots of people say things like well I'll wait till I win the lottery before I give lots or not helpful or I'll wait until like you know I've got a hundred thousand dollar increase on my salary at work and they're waiting and waiting and waiting and generally it never happens because they've never practiced the principle of sowing in your lack 
I heard a funny parable about a man by the name of Bob. And Bob came to his pastor and said, Pastor, Pastor, I, I, I've been struggling with tithing and giving of late. And the pastor said, help me understand why you're struggling with tithing. And he said, well, when I had a salary of $50 a week, it was easy to give $5 into the offering. And when I had a salary of $500 a week, it was easy to give $50 into the offering. But now that I have a salary of $5,000 a week, $500 is a lot of money to give into the offering, you know. And I'm just not, I'm really struggling with it. Can you please come into agreement with me and pray about, you know, this issue that I have with tithing? And the pastor looked at him and said, yeah, sure. He said, Father, I pray that you would reduce Bob's income to $50 a week so that he would be able to understand the power and principle of tithing in his life. You see, many of us think someday, somewhere, Over the rainbow, I am going to start giving and it's going to be amazing and wonderful. Can I encourage you, start today. Just begin to sow. Even in seasons of lack, watch the blessing of God overtake your life. You cannot outgive God. God will always be faithful to the principles of His Word. He may not respect people or persons, the Bible says, but He will respect the principle of faith. When you and I come into agreement with God's kingdom economy for how his church and his kingdom is to operate. You see, in Deuteronomy 8, 17 to 18, way back at the beginning of the old covenant, God's warning to Israel, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant. I remember the first time I read that, it exploded in my heart many, many years ago because I realised that the, the reason, yes, God blesses us because he loves us, but he primarily blesses us to establish his covenant on the earth. That God has a dream that the whole earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. God has a mission that the nations would come into active discipleship, understanding the lordship of Jesus over their life. But that mission, that dream only becomes a reality as the people of God step into a co-laboring partnership, a relationship with God and bring our gifts, our talents, our time and our treasure to bear upon that which is in God's heart. And as you and I catch a spirit of generosity and we understand and come under the lordship of Jesus, Jesus over our lives and with finance, all of a sudden, not only do we find we're blessed, but we get to bless others in an amazing way. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, helping them understand a fundamental truth. Yes, sacrificial giving is not just an act of worship that transforms our hearts, but sacrificial giving actually provides for God's vision for his church. In verse 12 of this passage, the Apostle Paul says, for this ministry of this service, giving is a ministry. It's one of the ministries that God uses to build his house. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the church, the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And today on this Vision Offering Sunday, we are taking up a Vision Offering. This is not unusual to us as a church. We do this every year. 
Because God has given us a great vision for our future. God has called us to plant Numa churches in every state, capital, city and territory across Australia. God has called us to plant a Numa church as, a, as an apostolic international hub, in, not just here in Melbourne or in Bangkok, but also in Paris and San Francisco. In fact, today, Numa Bangkok moves into their new facility as they have responded to the call of giving generously to God's house. God's called us to become an epicentre of revival for the wider body of Christ. God, you've done it once, do it again. God has called us to, to take, disciple the nations across the globe that we would begin to engage in global mission in the marginalised, broken areas of our planet where people desperately need more than a handout, they need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's called us and given us a vision where every believer makes disciples of Jesus, where the culture that we live in is actually transformed by the love and power of the kingdom of God. God has given us a great vision, but that vision will not become reality through good intentions, but only as we become living sacrifices will we actually see God's heart for this church, for our city, for our nation and the nations of the earth become a reality and you and I have a role to play in that. Over these last few weeks, my wife and I have been praying and asking God to show us what is it that you want us to give in this offering. We want to be people that lead the way, set an example, and it may not be as much as what someone else could give in this room, but it is something that represents a sacrifice for us. David said, I will not bring something that costs me nothing. I'll bring something to God that isn't just about sacrifice to ease my conscience, but it's about, God, would you use this to transform my heart, my priorities, my motives? And there are three basic levels of giving. The first level of giving is the tithe. That's where we just understand that God has a, a system by which sustains God's people in ministry and leadership, that's the tithe. There are three basic levels of giving. The first level is tithe, tithing 10%. If you have not entered into or are participating in the tithe, then we want to encourage you, take a step of faith this year, trust God, try it for a month and see God bless your life. Just test God, just step out and test it. Malachi, Malachi invites us to. So let's just step out and, and, and test God at his word and you watch what God does in your life. The second level of giving is offerings. This is where we give over and above our tithe. These are two particular initiatives and things that God lays upon the church at particular times. And then the third level of giving is sacrificial, extravagant offerings, which is what would comprise our vision offering. And that is where we are spirit-led, hearing from God, stepping out in faith and obedience responding to what God has laid upon our hearts. You see, the key to extravagant giving is not just to acknowledge it or to understand the sacrifice or the pain involved with it. The key to extravagant giving is to hear God and do whatever he tells you. I have heard so many testimonies of people in the life of this church and beyond who've heard God ask them, put something on their heart to give, stepped out and have seen dramatic supernatural breakthroughs in all sorts of areas of their life. My own wife and I are testimonies of that. As we've stepped out in faith and been obedient to what God's asked to do, amazing supernatural breakthrough. I want to encourage you when you begin to hear from God, 
Don't be surprised if you go through all the different, you know, various stages of uh, grief and doubt and excitement and fear because the reality is when you hear from God, firstly, you'll be excited. Wow, that's amazing, God. Thank you for putting that on my heart and I'm excited to be a part of the vision and sowing in and seeing your kingdom come and you will be done. And then after excitement may come a little bit of fear as you begin to consider the impact and all the ramifications of sacrificing to that degree. And then your logic kicks in and tells you, are you crazy? And then doubt creeps into your spirit and you go through all of these phases and then denial, no, I didn't really hear that. It was bad pizza the night before. This wasn't really God. And and then finally you get to a point where you come back to the original original word and you come back to what God asks you to do and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and faith settles in your heart and you acknowledge the reality of what you're stepping into but you step out in faith and you watch God do the miraculous in your life. I want to encourage you today as we come together for our vision offering to do whatever God tells you to do that you would have a revelation in your heart, what is it that God is asking, and that you would step out in faith, you'd see the vision, you'd sow into it, but more importantly, you would be obedient to what it is that God's asking you to do. We are believing as a church over this year that we'll see $2 million and more raised for the vision of the house. Last year, we saw nearly 1.5 come into the vision, and this year with our facility at Numa East and all sorts of vision initiatives, planting in Numa, Perth. There's new vision, new demands. We're we're never going to step back from the vision that God has called us to. This is standard operating procedure for Numa, Perth. But I believe as we come together, can you imagine with me what God could do through our sacrificial generosity? You know, even here at our city location the other week, when on Vision Sunday, as I was looking out, across this auditorium, I literally saw the back walls all around this room pushed out another thousand seats all around. And I felt like the Lord was speaking to me saying, there's a day coming when you're going to have to push back the walls and push, lift the roof and all the best, Jai, business manager in coordinating that. And so God's got stuff for us to do. There are churches to plant, there's lives to be changed. And it's not about a building or a facility or a product or a material or technology. It's about the eternity of people's hearts. Would you just close your eyes with me? And maybe as a posture of worship and surrender in response to this word today, you go home and pray and ask God what's on his heart. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us as a church as we give today. Father, we come to you on this vision offering Sunday. We thank you, Lord, that your word and our heavenly Father has already modeled to us a heart of generosity in giving us Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that love gives generously. We want to be people that don't just mouth the word love, but we want to be people that live it out in our everyday life. We don't want to just sing about your Lordship, we actually want to practice a lifestyle of coming under and following you as our Lord and Saviour. And so God, today I'm asking as we give, Lord, that your blessing and your favour would come upon our giving. God, that we would see a great, mighty, miraculous move of your Spirit 
that Lord, every aspect of the vision would be fulfilled. We thank you, Father, for Numa Bangkok and for Numa uh, East here in Melbourne. We thank you, Father, for Numa City, Numa South, Numa West. We thank you, Lord, for Numa Perth yet to be planted. We ask God that every single financial need, oh God, in all of those respective locations and here at City would become a manifest reality in the days to come. And I ask God as we partner with your kingdom program, oh God, of seeing your dream, your heart for a lost planet be restored back to you. I pray today, Lord God, that the blessing of heaven would overflow into every single giver's heart and life. That, Lord, there would be a harvest, not only of righteousness, oh God, but a harvest of great blessing in their businesses, in their resource, in every area of their life. God, that we would ask You to take away the cynicism, the scepticism that is often associated, oh God, with messages like this and the topic of giving in the church. And that, Father, as we come under Your Lordship, our hearts would explode with generosity. Now, Father, we would be transformed to be like Jesus in the process. And so, God, we bring to our vision offering today. We ask you to bless it and multiply it in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.